A very warm welcome to the Change Conversations podcast, where we help individuals to reignite the spark to look at their lives and careers with a different lens. Our interactions interrogate different individuals of all backgrounds who seek to be equipped for change in their careers and personal goals. I am your host, Mbumengu Betaga, and I look forward to bringing you impactful change conversations. Hi, everybody. Thanks for joining us again this week. Um, in this episode, I've got a very exciting guest. Um, somebody that I've, I've met this time last year. I don't know when I've met him. Oh, but gosh. anyway. No, I met I met you this year. I can't remember. This... Yeah, I met you this year in March. Can you... Can you hear, you know, can you believe me when I say we are exhausted already? We can't even get our time frames correct. I know. Yeah, so. Yeah. So I met Upumzile this year in March in Durban at the International Women's Day um, event. Yes. And we kind of liked each other, I think. A lot. And a lot, yes. A lot. A lot. A lot. So... And um, so I'm going to be having a conversation with her around mental health in the workplace. So if you're finding us for the first time, please do subscribe. Um, and for our subscribers, let us know what you think of our conversations. Thanks for the people that comment. We really highly appreciate that. And just share with other people if you find our conversations really um, interesting and they can make an impact in somebody's life. That's what it's all about. Anyway, um, Pumzile, I'm glad to have you. And the honor is all mine. Thank you. When you suggested it, I was like, uh, I'm not sure about this, but I think it's the right time. In fact, it's long overdue because this is a subject matter we have not taken seriously for a very, yeah. very long time. So thank you for for having me over and uh, for inviting me to come and share. Hopefully, you know, one tiny little pearl of wisdom that uh, people yes. can take away. Yes, yes, yes. So thank you so much. I'm very happy to be here. Thank you. But but you didn't hesitate too long when I asked you. You kind of just said, okay, we can do it. Didn't I? Inside, I was like, I was doing somersaults. <laughs> You just didn't see it. <laughs> oh, you did that. You did that very well, I have to say. Yeah, it's the it's the um, it's the speech and drama training at play, but we'll get to that. <laughs> okay. Okay. Mm. Anyway, yeah. So, Pumzila, please introduce yourself. That's what we do on this platform. The person who's on the chair, they introduce themselves. Ooh, I don't know where, where this one will start. I think it's going to confuse a lot of people. But um, let me start from the beginning and kind of work my way to where I am now. My training was more, I don't know why I chose crazy majors like um, speech and drama. I suppose I've always been a drama queen of note. Um, and psychology. But Drama seemed to flourish a bit more because I ended up working at the Playhouse uh, more as a 
an educational and community liaison person where we would get different artists and take them to Grand Style Arts Festival. So I was like a talent scout, you know? And we would go out and uh, or, or have this amazing music festival. So I had the fortune of meeting some amazing entertainers from all over. Uh, and then I kind of switched and I thought human resources. If I did speech and drama, I can deal with any kind of personality. After that, it was uh, a, a very long career within the human resources world where I was busy with a number of things. Number one, uh, human talent, you know, management, the training, uh, the executive placements and recruitment. And so also that exposed me to a world of, of HR policy formulation, uh, a world of training, a world of then literally dealing with people in the workplace and then trying to solve their issues. But mental health was not a part of that, you know, during that time. Mm. But then because I'm a mad, crazy hatter, um, I thought that was not enough. I went and I studied at the time, this is before I lost my husband, who had published a book and it was so badly edited, it was embarrassing. Mm. So I went and I studied copy editing with UCT and GetSmart which was not an easy course, so I became a certified professional copywriter. But then I thought, okay, that's going to keep you busy, but it's not enough. The food world entered. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've always been that person who loves entertaining, but had a, you know, a foodie at heart. I would go to restaurants and come back, and I'm like, I could have stayed at home and cooked my own meal, and I would have had fun you know, and enjoyed the food. So I ended up sitting on the board of trustees with um, the International Hotel School and an outfit called Igusasa School of Cooking, where every year for the past 11, 12 years, we will take 10 kids from disadvantaged communities and put them through a fully sponsored program, a skills program. Then they will do three days in class and three days in uh, industry like the oyster bars. Riverside, uh, Maharani, and um, what's the other hotel? And Elangeli. And so by the time they finished their training, they would have experienced a fully-fledged kitchen uh, and, you know, be ready for the workplace. And so I would give some of that training and, and get them ready. But I still thought I can do more. So I partnered with Ibs and their entrepreneurial development program where we facilitated different classes around entrepreneurial development, building resilient businesses. Then, of course, COVID hit and a new reality came to the fore, which included how now do we make sure that the businesses we've been mentoring and building actually sustain themselves? While we were doing, dealing with COVID, the floods, oh, the looting first. Yeah. And then issues of mental health were already rearing their head because of the impact of, of COVID. You know, we all know what that did. Two years of our lives just wiped out. Like people couldn't work, they couldn't earn money. And so that's when really mental health blew up in the spaces and with the clients that I was doing work at the time. So 
I am still quite involved in that. We do a lot of work with different communities where we would get community leaders, business leaders, uh, all sorts of social entrepreneurs and people in the different fields just to get them together and start talking about this animal called mental health. Wow. Wow. You have done so much. It's amazing. (sighs) (laughs) (laughs) Or just, you know, in an effort to keep sane. Yeah, no, I can can relate to that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, So why is the subject of mental health important to you, though? You know the phrase, um, a healthy people make a healthy nation? Mm. We've had problems, and I don't know why we're so scared to talk about this. As, and I'm going to be right out and say, as Black people, we have Mm. had a history of a lot of violence, even with the political changes, you know, in our lives, in in our dispensation. When 1994 happened, pre-94, there was violence. Before that, there was apartheid. And people keep on saying, why are we still talking about apartheid? It's because the trauma that we have gone through to this day has not been dealt with. COVID just was there to highlight the issues. It brought them to the fore. We talk about GBV as if it's something that really you know, blew up during COVID, but it's always been there, hence the 16 days of no violence against women, which has been running forever. But even then, I don't understand why it's 16 days when we're dealing with trauma. So we, I believe we are traumatic people, we're traumatized people, but nobody wants to talk about it. Nobody wants to do anything about it. Nobody wants to even address it. Instead, we will say, oh, no, men are angry. Women dress in a certain way so that you don't get raped. That, that doesn't work that way. Mm-hmm. It doesn't work that way at all. So what we should be doing is addressing the root cause of our trauma. The root cause of why a government would say, I'm giving you, go and have a child and I'll give you 350. And then you see our young men fully able, two hands, two feet, queuing at 4 a.m. for three feet. Instead of being educated, rather, to say, look, you've been through a lot. You are hurting and you don't know how to handle this. Let's rather teach you how to fish than give you the fish, to use the analogy. Yeah. So where are we going then as a nation? And we wonder why there is a, a culture of entitlement. There is a culture of people expecting government to come and sort out things for them, but we're not addressing root causes. You know, if you've got a pain in your body, you go to a doctor. But nobody encourages you to see a doctor because you're not okay in your head. You are depressed. Instead, it's suppressed. It's You're made to feel like you are inadequate. So, no, you know, nobody encourages you to seek the help that you need. And my question has always been, why is mental health not treated like any other illness? Even medic- wow. people on medical aid will have an issue to say, part of my medical aid does not even cover my mental health issues. Yeah. 
So, so, so how, how, how do you define mental health? What is your definition of mental health? It has to do with it has to do with balance, okay? Emotional, psychological, social. You know, when we talk about the wheel of life, for instance, you've got your physical, your spiritual, excuse me, your professional, your relationships, your family, and if that will is not balanced, if you spend more time, and I'm just using religion as an example, if you spend more time in church, let's say 50% of your, of your time in church, it means you're neglecting other aspects of your life. If you spend more time at work, 50% of your time, and most of us do that, it means you're neglecting, you know. So mental health for me, uh, has a lot to do with the balance in the way that we live our lives across that wheel of life that I've just mentioned. If there is no balance, then definitely you will then, you know, find be overwhelmed. You know, people end up even committing suicide because sometimes they feel they're alone. There's nobody to talk to. And so the only way that they see that makes sense would be committing suicide. Mm -hmm. But if they had found a way of addressing it, if they had found a way, even if it's someone that, you know, who can help you, you know, that's why we have mentors and coaching and coaches just to help you get in line, you know, get the, these important areas of your life aligned, then you stand a better chance. Yeah. So for me, it's it's got a lot to do with balance. But is it realistic, though, the balance element that you're speaking about? I think it is. We just have not been doing it. The way that we have been wired, the way that we have been taught, the way we've been socialized has been different. You've been told you need to work hard. You need, Of course we need to work hard. But nobody says you need to crawl under the table and play with your children. Nobody says you need to find time and take a walk, even if it's a, it's, a, it's a 20 minute walk, just to get some fresh air. You know, nobody encourages certain aspects, even if it's just quiet time, your me time. You know, I grew up in a household and my parents were, I was very like, my parents were, were, were in there, they were involved. But they firmly, my mother firmly believed, God rest her soul. She firmly believed that in until you know the sun comes out, it does. Mm, you mm. can't you can't do that. Yeah. And sometimes you, can't you sleep do midday. You can't sleep. No, no, you cannot sleep until midday as a girl because you need to be up at a certain time and doing your chores. And you will do your chores from sunrise until sunset, even until at night. If you are self-employed like I have been since 2009, so you've got that, that duty, your house chose whether you're a wife or an aunt or, and then you still have your work. Where do you get time to take a walk outside? Where do you get time to crawl under the table and play with your grandkids or run around like you've got no care in the world, even if it's for 10 minutes? Mm. it's up to us to create that time and it means you know it's like creating habits people find time to go to the gym 
for the things that you think are important, you know, important to you, don't you make time for those things? Yeah. No, you so then we so then we need to take mental health as one of those things that we really, really, really need to take care of. It's far more easier for us to take care of our bodies, our physical bodies by going to the gym. But we don't sit as friends, as family, and we look at the source of our problems as communities. And it starts here in the head, in how we yeah. think, in how we define our even our solutions. So we need to unlearn bad habits so that we can start learning new good habits. Yeah. Wow. Did I answer no. your question? No, you did. You did. Mm. And mm. and so how are you seeing, since you also have the HR background, how are you seeing this mental health playing out in the workplace? In the workplace. It's um it's quite a traumatic experience to watch because it manifests itself in different ways. One, you find people that have managers that they report to. The relationship dynamic is, is a minefield to navigate. People will tell you quite clearly and plainly that they are not being treated well. Uh, my manager comes into work angry or frustrated, and so that frustration comes out on me. Performance-wise, and working remotely has not helped because people spend their time from morning until the end of the day staring at the screen. At least before you could get in your car and spend some time on the road, maybe listening to the radio, get, getting stuck in traffic. We did not realize that there was break time, that was your new time. Now, if you work at home, you don't have that. What you have is you wake up in the morning, even before you have a shower, you are in front of your screen, right? And it goes like that from one meeting to another to another. So that 40 hour week is no longer in existence. People sit in front of their screens until nine, 10 at night, and they don't have time for anything else. But the most important thing that I see is compromised performance. Okay. In the workplace, the output is no longer the same. The, the energy when people meet is no longer the same. Everyone is literally one holding on, on to this job and hoping against hope that they don't lose it. Or they simply just fall apart and do not perform, which is then when the problem begins, they are, you know, obviously let go, which causes more stress, but most of it boils down to performance in the workplace, whether you're working remotely or you are physically in the workspace. So the work output, I mean, how many, how many companies have lost you know, money and have had to shut down? Instead, we see different types of businesses coming up like warehouses and where there is less human element involved. So it's, 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 it's really been tough. Human relations, performance, those two are the ones that manifest themselves the most within a workplace setting. So if you're an employee and you are battling in, with some mental issues, mental health issues, what can you do? 
So it's always um, a catch-21 situation. You know, most companies do have a human resources department and they do have an employee wellness type of setting. It may not be fully functional, but it is your responsibility one to, if you cannot disclose it at all, because legally you are not uh, forced to disclose your mental health issues or any uh, um, health issues for that matter, because it's a, it's a private matter. However, because mental health issues do not show themselves, they're not visible, you know, you don't have a sore here or just appear normal until something triggers it. It is important to find somebody. If there is a trusted colleague, it could be your manager, it could be your human resources person, because that person, part of their responsibility is supposed to look out for the wellness of the workforce. But I know and I understand that because of the stigma around mental health, most people do not feel comfortable with talking to their colleagues. I would suggest then that you find someone out, you know, out of the workspace. If uh, you are lucky enough to be on medical aid, do seek, and I'm urging everybody to seek out the services of a trained professional or find someone that you trust. The only way that this is going to end, the only way that it will be taken seriously is if we talk about it. Because we're so scared of being labeled as you know, someone who's not right in the head. Mm -hmm. And the minute people perceive you that way, you lose credibility. You may even lose your job. But it's so important, even with the young kids that we have at, you know, in our homes, who get bullied at school and then they don't say anything. That's the beginning of mental problems. And if you do not encourage them to speak at home or find somebody in the family, We've got, I've got a very good uh, tight circle of friends. Uh, we've known each other even before university. And there is this thing that happens with our kids. If, if my kids cannot talk to me, they know there is Auntie Soren, so there is Auntie Mamsi, there is Auntie Kaki, so there is, and so, and so they go to those people just so that they can get the help that they need. Find someone you know and trust to speak to or even create a circle where whenever there is something that needs to be sorted out or you're not feeling okay. I know there are toll-free helplines, but pick up that phone and say, I am not okay. A lot of us are not okay. It's a battle to wake up how in the do morning. We know, how do we know people that we're not okay? Because as oh, you so, say, there is no headache, there is no stomach cramps, there is no, I'm so here. So how does the person actually just say to myself, something is not right here? Like, how do you self-diagnose, if, if I may put it that way? I think the first signs would be things like, you find it difficult to wake up in the morning, just to get out of bed. You know that sick feeling in the pit of your stomach when you know you have to get out of bed and go to work. It may just be related to the work environment or other things that are happening around you. There's that, you know, there's that. Emotionally, you know, I, when I'm not okay, I know I am 
the most emotional person you'll ever meet. You say one kind thing or one unkind thing and the reaction will be the same. I'll fall apart, I will start weeping. Depression, when you know you're not okay, you are shouting at people all the time, you cannot maintain a respectable conversation, a civil conversation, you're, you're short-tempered with your children or people close to you. You know, that's not normal. Some people, especially the men in our lives, tend to be violent. That's not normal. You can't say, no, 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 I'm responsible. I should have said A, B, C, and D. It is not okay. So it's little things like, how do you feel? You know when you wake up and you're just being lazy. That's different. But if you really feel like, no, man, I, I cannot tell you. You know, some people will even say, I don't even know why I'm, I'm feeling sad. I'm so depressed. I can't do anything. I, I don't feel like I've got energy to do ABC. So that, you know, the energy levels and your, and your routine changes. But suddenly you, you used to be that happy person who would wake up in the morning, take a walk, and you don't feel like doing that. So it's little things like that. Your performance at work, your attitude at home, the way you relate to other people, either you know the way we abuse alcohol or whatever other drugs that could be available to us. So it's, it's, it's a combination of things for most people. And the minute you feel, and you will know when you feel like there is something that normally I don't behave like that. You know when you suddenly rest out and you say something to somebody and then you say, oh, I'm so sorry, that's not me. I don't normally behave that way. Mm. It could be something even as small as that. And, and that's the problem. You know, when we talk about the looting that happened, that was a symptom. It's not the problem. People were, haven't been okay for a while. And that frustration, it's like a bucket when you keep filling it with water, at some point, that water will overflow. Mm -hmm. And so you know you're not okay when there is some type of overflow in your mind, in your body, in the way you act, in your emotions. And that's the time to start taking action. Yeah. And the action, you say, is about finding somebody the, who The can action help. is about talking about it. Mm. When, when you have a headache, you tell everybody, I'm not okay, I've got a stomach cramp. I'm not okay, I've got period pains. I'm not okay, I've got, you know, my eyes infected. My, you're very quick. You don't even think about the repercussions. Mm. And for us to treat mental wellness and make it not this craziness that requires a mental institution and for you to be confined there, is for us to talk about it, to say, I'm not okay. I have not, during COVID, people were saying, I've lost 10 members of my family. I have not buried a single one. Nobody has held me. I have not had a hug. Nobody has even touched my hand. Physical contact like that, which assures us that we are loved, because we are social human beings. And those little things, you know, kids love giving hugs. They see you, ah, oh, and then they give you a hug. And how does that make you feel? Yeah. So there are things even at home that can help us. You know, the hugging our, our kids, our partners, our aunts, our moms, our dads, or just sitting and having a conversation. But we need to talk about it. 
And anybody that you approach and you say to them, I'm not okay. And they tell you, I, we're all not okay. So let's, no. We need to really have a conversation and make it normal. Especially for our young ones. You know, I feel so worried and sad about kids that have gone through um, a trick in the past two years and start at university. Mm. Because we know metric is on its own, on a good day. It's a lot. Going through it during COVID. Studying university during COVID. Yeah. And so we've got a lost generation that we have not even started, you know, assisting and, and, and making sure that they will make good parents one day, that they will not abuse their partners, that they will be, you know, Honorable citizens. Mm, mm. We haven't started that work. It's starting slowly, but it's not enough because we're yeah. still scared to talk about it. And in the workplace, it is so bad because people judge you all the time. You know, you are defined by how you act. Yeah, it's a difficult one. But also, as you as you're talking, we're not we're not socialized though sometimes to share our problems or our issues or our challenges because we were we were taught to be strong. We we're taught to you need to make a plan. And and yeah. now this talking just seems like we're trying to run away from things. And this talking just seems like. It's weak, but we're never even taught how these conversations need to happen. It's because we were taught of what, uh, for men, what strength means. You know, mm. what is a man? A man is someone who never cries. A man is someone who, who keeps everything in. And, and, and for instance, using the same, you know, along those lines, same analogy, a wife is someone who will hold on no matter how terrible, no matter how bad things are. You hold on to that marriage, girl, do not let it go. Meanwhile, you are dying inside. We now live in an, in an age where this has all the information that we have information on our fingertips. But it is, it's what I was talking about when I was saying we need to unlearn certain habits so that we start inculcating the correct one. And one of the main and the most important ones, especially as we we grow older and the younger people that come from us, follow us, they must not make the same mistakes. So we should be that, you know, that example. They should see me speaking out if I'm not or if I'm not okay. Because if they don't see that at home, they are not going to start practicing anywhere else because they've never seen it. You're absolutely right. You know, um, my generation, when it was time for our parents to start talking about sex, stories you would hear are just, you get stunned and dumbfounded because they knew what, you know, what information to pass on, but they did not have the tools. They did not have the training. They did not have the guidance. They did not have you know, even the courage to sit me down and say, this is what's happening to your body. 
it is normal, it's okay, it's gonna pass. This is how you manage it. This is how the support you need. So how then are we going to start even normalizing like normal body functions, like a girl getting a period? Yeah. So it has to start with us and it has to end with us. The, the abnormal behavior and practice. I know I'm saying it like it's something that's as easy as ABC, it's not. It's a lifetime journey, but it has to start somewhere. Otherwise we're going to lose, not just the lives of our young people, but we are not going to have relationships with our own children when they are older because they will be just so messed up. Yeah. And, and, and but I don't know, I'm sitting here and, and, and thinking to myself, I'm bringing up a, a boy and I've discovered that the boys are such sensitive human beings. Like they are? Some, and society is wanting to teach them not to be who they are, is, is, is telling them to be strong, is telling them you're not supposed to cry, um, is telling them all these other things. And, and now what you're finding, at least now, I think as a mother, I know a little bit better. So I'm encouraging him. I'm giving him the words to explain how he's feeling and, 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 you know. But the previous generation didn't have that. Hence, no. we've got, and mainly men that cannot share their emotions and their feelings just become, because they're just, it becomes like this nightmare. So you're finding them in homes, you're finding them in workplaces, and they're creating this havoc that is being created because people don't have the words and they don't know what to do, either because with the things that they are battling with, because they don't know how to fix themselves. They also don't know how to help the other people around them. It seems yeah. like, so to me, it, it seems mind boggling, like where do you, that it just seems like a, you know, a, a daunting task. It is a daunting, you know, it is a daunting task. And part of our growing up, you know, didn't help. Do you remember a time when at home there would be work for girls and then there would be work for boys? Yeah. Do you remember a time when I was not allowed to be outside of the gates? At five o'clock. Yes, but it's perfectly okay for the young brother of mine to uh, arrive home at seven, at nine, at ten, at whatever hour, right? Yeah. yeah. So it starts that you're already giving them, you, or you're forcing them to know that they have this immense power over girls, because even at home, it's being practiced. And then that young man grows up, has their own family or they have a girlfriend and they know they can do pretty much what they want because they are, you know, they are men. They are, they are, nobody can do anything. Now we live in an, an age that I'd like to call um, of enlightenment, not the one that happened in, the, in, the, in Britain that many centuries ago, but people are slowly discovering themselves, even our men. In the way that we raise our kids in our homes is where the change can begin. In my household, when I was raising my kids, everyone has had a day when they watch the shows. 
everyone had a day when they did. You know, there was no um, separation between work for girls and work for boys. It was just, it, whose turn is it today? There was even a roster, you know. But what do we do with a grown man today? We know it's difficult to sit down with some of them today and you and you, and try and give them words of wisdom, especially when they don't see a woman as a human being. I would I would suggest um, looking at one, you know, companies like uh, organizations that do emotional and psychosocial support. There is an organization called, maybe what I should do after this is send you a list of the companies that we sometimes do work with. There is the Center for Mental Health and Wellness. There is um, a Cloud Therapist. Cloud Therapist is even wonderful because it's a free service. All you need is a smartphone. Data is zero rated. You log in and you speak to a live therapist right there. Someone that is on the other side, they don't need to see you unless, of course, you want to go to their offices. But, you know, um, they are, like your crisis lines, um, your lifelines, your, uh, the d- different shelters that um, assist women in trouble and also assist men who feel they are in danger of committing a crime by beating up somebody. There is nothing. We need to do something that scares us like talking about a subject that we hardly ever talk about. And in this case, our mental health. And unless we get committed to making that step, we make things are not going to change. Nobody will force anybody. We need to want that change ourselves. So maybe the question is, how do we motivate our men, our fathers, our, our brothers to get to a point where they actually see that the way we've been going is not the right way. It's not going to take us to a good place. And again, with me, yeah. And again, with me, that even starts by knowing if I gather a group of young people, they will listen to a person like this and try and get that person in the same room with them so that those conversations can happen. But it starts by talking, nothing else. It starts by talking and us walking our talk. And, and that realization for somebody to say, I am not okay, that, that, that I don't think as human beings, and maybe now that I'm older, um, I'm taking a bit of time to reflect on things. And I don't think we, we were ever taught anyway. We can always keep blaming our parents about all these things. But they didn't know what they didn't know as well. No, we they never, didn't. We were never taught how to just take a time to reflect. When something happens and you're feeling all sorts, do you even take a time just to say, why am I feeling this way? What is this about? Small things like that. We were never taught that. But I think in, as we are growing and learning as people, you realize that when there's, a, when there's something that is happening to you, you feel something in your body. Your body tells you that this is not right. But then asking yourself the question that says, but why is it not right? Why am I feeling this? And, and doing some reflections. We don't even know how to do that. So people are just kind of walking through life as if 
everything is just happening to them and it's okay. And that for me is a bit of a concern. It's a process. Mm. That has to start somewhere. A conversation like this. So let's share these types of conversations. And you, you know, I have been surprised at the breakthroughs that we've had with men whenever we sit around in the different communities and we talk about mental health and wellness. There are some you know, stories that have unfolded right in front of you simply because a man has realized, you know what, I should not have done that. We had a session in one of the areas where, this is just after looting, and the father lost three businesses. One, he couldn't get insurance because he was trading in, a, even though it was a shopping center, it was in a township. So banks were like, we're not going to find you. Insurance companies were like, okay, we will come, but hey, you know, we don't know. So when he was looted and he lost source of, you know, the source of income for the family, three shops, he became an animal at home. And when the invitation came through, for that mm. particular area for us to do a mental health intervention. He came together with other men, and I'm talking about gentlemen from the township. He came through, sat down, listened. At some point before the end of the day, he gets up and says, my son is here. Please stand up. They stand up, and then they hug. Because he says, I know I've been an animal. I have not been fed to you. I've not been fed to your mom. I have been eaten by everything that's been happening. Because I see the people that put at my shop up and down the street were in the same community. But I now realize that I am traumatized. I am hurt. And I'm promising you as my family that we will start working on those things. For me, that was a revelation. And I never expected someone like your, you know, when they talk about your proud Zulu men getting up and saying those things in front of strangers. So I'm saying, yes, it's bad, but there's hope. It is just a matter of starting to talk about it, starting to do the work. It won't catch immediately and not with everybody, but it will start making a difference. But we also need to consider that there may be a sector of people that we have lost, especially the older ones. Let's do most of our work with the young men, the young women, and approach it differently. Instead of telling a girl of, you know, about how not to dress, can we tell men not to beat and wait? Mm. Can we teach them that? Because that's not what we're asking for if we were short scares. But it's a mental, it's become a mentality of thing of sorts. When you're dressed that way, this is what you need because of the trauma that you've been through. Any outlet, any outlet, whether it's, it's a fist, it's a, it doesn't matter. But it is a way of showing frustration even for them because they were also abused. Yeah. They were also abused. How do we take away the, the stigma, though, that comes with this mental health conversation? You know what it's like? It's like someone who is in a, in a physically abusive relationship. Mm. 
They don't talk about it until mm -hmm. it's too late. And the minute they talk about it, you know, the other party becomes aware. Yes, he will be angry, but then he will know people know and his behavior will be forced to change. The stigma will not go away if we keep hiding it. Do you remember that during the days when people were dying left, left, right, and center because of HIV AIDS? HIV, yeah. Until it became a, an everyday conversation to say it happens, it's okay. There are ways of managing it. You know, now people live up until, I don't know, you would see someone who is um, affected coming down the street because of how they looked. And there was the stigma, people will stay away from them. They won't even want to share a, a plate of food with them or let alone be in the same room because we knew so little about, about that disease then. But because there was a very concerted campaign or campaigns, it stopped being a stigma. I mm. hope at this, you know, it's the same thing here. Let's create forums. It does not need to be a big thing for me. Gather a young group of, you know, you've got a Saturday afternoon free in a certain neighborhood. Gather the young men and the young women and let's have a conversation. It is normal because it will be surprising that those young people themselves will be the first ones to tell you, I did not know who to speak to. Mm. They end up doing drugs, they end up, you know, uh, being violent and worse, taking their own lives because they have no one to talk to. So let's create safe spaces in our homes to speak to our young people. Yeah. For me, that's the most important thing. Just knowing someone is available. Not I would true. love, um, you know, to share my my um uh my my online presence and really would you know because i do not mind for someone to say mm -hmm. i'm not okay and maybe there is one word just one word that i will say that will get them thinking a different way so i am i have not been as active on social media as i should be but I do have some presence and it's okay. only now that it's starting to, you know, with this mental health work. I am on Facebook. I don't know if people still use Facebook, but I the am on Facebook. The generation still do? I'm 35 years old, so I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I go with two surnames my maiden surname, because I've never bothered to change some of my accounts, pumzile.langa.by. That's Facebook. Um, and Pumi Gumbi, that's my Instagram. Oh, yes, I am on Instagram, too. Ooh, we've made it. <laughs> um, and then the most, you know, uh, sure way of getting hold of me would be through email. Okay. Maybe with your contact details, if you need uh, help that way. And it's Gumbi, G-U-M-B-I, Pumi, P-H-U-M-I, at gmail.com. I'm not going to give out my number for obvious reasons. No, 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 no. Don't. But uh, if you reach out to me, 
on any of those platforms, I can guarantee you that uh, I, I will be able to respond. So what's the one thing that you'd like somebody to take out of this conversation? Um, I think the most important thing for me is for us to, it's two things really. One, be ready to unlearn certain things. Because the way we've been going on, the way we've been carrying on is not, we know it's not working out for us. But the second one and the most important, and the last thing I'll say around the question of uh, mental health is let's start talking about it. Let's not be ashamed to talk about it. We tend to want to be perceived in a particular way. On social media, we appear as being in these fancy places, holding glasses of something that looks interesting. And, and, we're, and we're fully made up 24 seven. Life is not like that. Let's talk about it and let's try and be real with ourselves as much as possible. It's not easy, but do stand in front of that meta, you know, metaphorical mirror and stare at yourself naked and see what you like. Because if you see what you like, then that's a good place to start in changing what you do not like. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I hope those that were listening did get just a little bit of, of um, enlightenment, a little bit of words that they can start working on or working with. I am also here. I am also availing myself just to make sure that whoever reaches out actually gets support and they get that, you know, the help that they need. I'm not a trained psychologist, but I know I can help, even if it, it means we chat and then I refer you to maybe the cloud therapist and, you know, whoever else that is needed at the time. That yeah. help is available. Thank you. I Thank think you what I have is just a matter of all of us making a difference in one person's life. For me, that's just more one. Than enough. Just one. That's that's just one person, yeah. and then your work here would would have meaning. Yeah. Thank you very much. Have a good Thank one. Thank you. You have a beautiful day too. Thank you. Thanks. Bye. Thanks. Bye. Thank you for listening to Change Conversations. If you enjoyed our show and you would like to help support the podcast, please share it with others and kindly post about it on your social media platforms. To catch all the latest from me, you can follow me on Instagram and YouTube at Change Conversations with Mbume. I am Mbume Ngubedaga signing out and I will see you again next week.